0: For October twenty sixth, twenty twenty, it's the Overthinking at Podcast, episode six hundred and forty-three. Broadly speaking, Buffon clowning. Overthinking it where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the Internet. We're never happier than when we are hanging out talking about the things we love, the things we used to love, the things that we used to love that have come back again. Do we love them still? Do we love them as much? Do we love them more or less? Let's find out because we are talking about uh, the new Borat movie. Which has some elaborate title that I'm not going to attempt to remember, but Sasha Baron Cohen has created a new Borat movie. He is back up to his old antics. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. You can stream it for free. That well, not for free. If you pay for that service, you can uh, stream it there. And yeah, Borat's uh, Borat's back. Borat's here for for 2020. Um, so I'm. Let's uh, let's talk about it. I'm Matt Rather, and I am here with uh, with my my good friends Matt Belinky hey Matt Hello, my <laughs> name,
1: I'm Matt Belinky.
0: How, how, uh, who Who did you watch the Borat movie with?
1: Guys, can I just say I've missed bad Borat impressions. That I know people on Twitter are already complaining that like the bad Borat impressions are the sort of final and, and, and greatest plague of the sort of killing of the firstborn plague of 2020. But honestly, I am nostalgic. I, I greet them with open arms. And I hope that like for the rest of the year, people keep doing these sort of awkward uh, half-hearted bored impressions um and a whole new generation is TikToking their bad bored impressions and
0: and and um, who did speaking you think of who did yeah. you watch the movie with matt was it uh... i
1: introduced it to a whole new generation i have a 15 year old boy and it definitely was a moment of trepidation. it could have gone either way up until the moment where i was, was sort of like let's just put it on and go for it because he's a little if he was 16 i don't think i would have hesitated he feels like he's like on the cusp. But then I think that the thing that that finally got me is that he is literally a sophomore in high school. And this movie is is nothing but sophomoric, nothing if not sophomoric at certain points. Got and it. so he's in a way the target audience. Um and so I watched it with him and I think that he definitely he he appreciated it. Although I definitely um you know, I think I think that it was it was more uh, penises than I expected.
0: Yeah, well, they, if I
1: known there'd be quite so many penises, I might have thought, you know, maybe maybe watch like uh, I don't know, The Adams Family Values instead, which yeah. is also available to stream. The uh, yeah, the, the <laughs> modal number
0: the modal number of penises in American movies is zero. So uh, that 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 would be shocking. We also have Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hello, Matthew. (laughs) Who did you watch this film with?
2: Well, I watched it by myself because, uh, you know, there's a lot of uncomfortable humor in this movie. And as much as I appreciate doing things together, that's not really the kind of movie that my wife likes to watch. (laughs) So unfortunately, I didn't watch it with my wife, but I watched it alone. Uh, I did watch a chunk of it while I was doing the dishes.
0: Oh yeah how 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 is uh, your lovely spouse? I'm just giving you an opportunity nice. to She's say She
2: is nice. <laughs>
0: yeah, just giving you an opportunity to say my wife more and more. Everyone get my it out wife of your My
2: wife is nice. She's good. Everyone
1: <laughs>
0: get it out She's of...
2: hard intelligent woman.
0: <laughs> get it out of your system now. Uh and uh and Mark Lee, hello Mark
3: you <laughs> number four podcaster in all Kazakhstan.
0: Oh no, I you're you're the number one podcaster in uh, in in my view. Uh, what, how uh, how did you watch this movie? Who did you watch it with?
3: Well, uh, Pete did the joke already, so I, I too saw it alone because my wife uh, was not interested. <laughs> oh yeah. Wait, Mark, your your
2: wife wasn't interested in the movie either. I thought it was only my wife who didn't
3: want to watch this movie. <laughs> in solidarity, Pete. I give you a virtual high five! High five!
0: Oh wow! So Pete, your my wife did not want to watch this movie, and Mark, no, my
2: wife, not your wife. <laughs> no, I'm saying your my wife.
1: You're my wife.
0: There's absolutely no chance this gets old, guys.
2: <laughs> I'm a not I'm not so gonna, gonna win.
0: All right. And there ends. That's a, we're declaring moratorium on Borat impressions. But, uh, let's, uh, let's dive right in. Matt, you're not on the podcast a whole heck of a lot, but I, I think it was more important. Um, more important than any, than the life-saving work that you do or any number of, uh, any number of, uh, good charitable deeds you might have done. you know, as we record, any anything that you could have done with your life, this was the most important thing uh, that you you come on the podcast and talk about Borat, uh, which I think makes you the world's foremost authority on the new Borat movie. So why don't we uh, why don't we start with you? Why why was it so important for you to uh, come on the show and talk about Borat with us?
1: That's right. Uh, as you guys know, on Sunday nights, I typically I, I hand feed baby seals. I volunteer at the aquarium. And they're baby orphan seals, and I, I hand feed them, and I sing to them quietly in their native seal language, uh-huh. uh, which helps calm them down.
2: Uh, and I had to tell the aquarium that, like, just on loop.
1: Yeah, no, it, it, it just sort of. i honestly, it, it took me years to master the sort of timber, the the underwater resonances. That uh, are necessary to sort of soothe them into a state where they can consume nourishment.
0: <laughs>
1: okay? This is a serious business, but I had to tell the aquarium that um, I mean if a couple seals starve to death, then so be it. Because I needed to be on the podcast tonight. Because there there were two movie experiences in my life that were truly transformative. That were, that were uh, uh, transcendent, let's just say, that that's, I felt like I reached this sort of moment with like a live crowd laughing uproariously at a comedy in a way that like, you know, I've experienced with live theater with like a really good sort of live comedy in a packed house. But usually a movie theater with a comedy, like you're not going to get that kind of loud Contagious laughter, and the two movies were the South Park movie. uh, Oh,
0: I was—that's what I was going to guess. Were you going to guess it? Yeah, I was going to guess bigger, longer, and uncut.
1: Did did you have the same experience where like you never seen people like laugh that hard in that? Yeah, though I saw it in like
0: I saw it in 1999 with a girl I was just starting to date. I think, and I was uh, a little. Uh, I was a little I had some trepidation about whether if I behaved as enthusiastically as I actually felt about it, if she would not like me. Now I realize anyone who does not laugh out uh, uproariously at that movie uh, probably would not be a good candidate for a relationship with me. But uh as it turns out, when she came out, she was like, that was the greatest stuff ever using slightly different words. Anyway, so is that in yeah. Borat is what you're saying? Yeah. And it's
1: so the return of Borat felt like exactly what America needed. It felt like a like a gift Um, because it's been it's been a difficult year and it's been a year with a lot of darkness uh, and a lot of uh, I think I think a lot of hypocrisy and a lot of people that are. Sort of like lying to your face um, in a way that like you just long to sort of acknowledge and call out. And but most people don't have the ability to do that. But Sasha Baron Cohen has perfected a technique over the years where he sort of through the guise of, a, of an innocent of a sort of a, a the Eastern European version of Cletus, the slack jawed yokel can sort of uh, coax people into saying the quiet part out loud. Um and so I was really excited to see this movie and I watched it and I wanna say right off the bat I thoroughly enjoyed it. I uh not only like laughed uh out loud numerous parts, uh, but I actually thought it was it was moving, it it felt more heartfelt. Um, I think on purpose it it had I mean it was dedicated I guess slight spoiler alert here at the end it's dedicated to a Holocaust survivor like you know they actually put that in the end credits so this movie feels less cynical than the first movie Um, but here's the deal I felt like in my old age I was uncomfortable with some of the stunts that he did. And it it took me a while to figure out why. And I think that you can roughly categorize the sort of Borat, um, you know, I'm talking about the hidden camera stuff that he does with real people or ostensible real people. I guess we'll never quite know how staged it is, or what those people were told, but let's
3: just assume. Right. So, that, to be clear, not not just hidden camera, right, but also just straight up like interview set piece.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess let's say the the pieces that he does where he interacts with real people. Yeah. Um, I feel like you could categorize these into two types. There's the the type where he is trying to get people to say to say things uh, that maybe they they would not normally say out loud, but he's trying to get them to to reveal. Who they really are And I feel like a good a good example of this Would be at the QAnon rally Where he gets the people to sing About chopping people up Like the Saudis um, I think another good one was Is the Crisis Pregnancy Center Where he straight up tells uh, The guy that he's impregnated his daughter And the guy still goes ahead And tries to convince her not to have the abortion um, So those I think that's one type of scene And the other type of scene Is just where he does something that's mortifyingly embarrassing and ruins somebody's social event and just puts somebody in an incredibly awkward position. And I think the, the examples of these that that I that kind of rub me the wrong way is at the debutante ball, where they do the horrifying fertility dance. Um, And then I think another good one is the Republican sort of women's meeting where uh, Borat's daughter, uh, uh, Tudar, gets up and she basically uh, tells the story about how she's just masturbated for the first time in the hotel bathroom and encourages them all to do it right there. And these scenes sort of got me asking, like, what do these people do to deserve – like, are we supposed to be laughing – at the people that she's embarrassing. And I mean, I, I guess maybe the subtext is because these people are conservative and Republican, they deserve to be embarrassed. I mean, is that is that a read on this thing? Or is it basically like you're supposed to be laughing at these Eastern European buffoons that they're the real targets of mockery. and the the Republican women are just meant to be the straight the straight men, in this case, the straight women. Um, but they're not supposed to be like it's not like a gotcha for those women.
3: Well, I say I'll say both. A lot of other people kind of weigh in on the on the bigger uh, aspects of the targets of the satire here, but just like an interesting thing about the mechanics for the debutant debutant ball. From what I understand, and and you could argue me whether this is important or not, right? Is that like you know a lot of these set pieces are put together under false pretenses, right? You know, they say that there's an Eastern European European filmmaker who you know wants to make a documentary about the debutante ball society and things like that. And this is really key. They gave all of the the people who are interested in participating, who by the way are paid 100 bucks each uh, for their time for this. Um, uh, They gave them all a quiz, a pop, basically a pop culture literacy quiz. Um, and the way that one per- – it was described is that um, if you said you did not recognize Will Ferrell or Sasha Baron Cohen and you did recognize Mike Huckabee, then you were selected for this scene. So uh, that, I guess, is what uh, they were being punished for is for not being able to recognize Sasha Baron Cohen, um, and by extension by that, being a social conservative. Um, I don't know if that's important or not, but like that's at least how they found up in- wound up in that situation. I mean, like, so – uh, more importantly, of course, is the fact that like because it's a debutant ball and it's just like, you know, um, very potent symbol of outdated uh, gender norms and things like that. That is why um, they've been set up for this. Um, so that's just some practical stuff. That's that's some interesting context for there. But I don't know, Pete, Matt, what do you think? Like what's what's uh, what's being satirized here and why and how?
2: Well, the question, the thing that comes to mind while I hear Matt describe it, because I definitely felt a similar reaction to this movie in particular, where the scenes that are that are uh, pranks did not resonate as much as the scenes that where the joke was revealed by the person that they were talking to, uh, particularly the one where he dresses up as Trump and carries the girl over his shoulder into the Republican National, National Convention and just yells at people. Uh, it, it, what makes me wonder is, is there a difference in the planning between those two events or is it thought that either event could turn out to be either kind of event is the, uh, did they expect someone at the debutante ball to respond or react in some sort of very embarrassing way to them? And because they didn't really, it becomes a prank. It gets edited into a prank. Whereas if they had, maybe it would have been different. That's just a thought. I don't know if that's, makes sense or resonates as something that might be happening. I don't know. But, uh, you know, like taking the girl into the fake, manipulative, religious, anti-abortion complex uh, is is in and of itself a kind of embarrassing prank, I guess. Were they depending upon the guy saying such incredibly embarrassing things and reacting in such a reprehensible way when they did it? Or would they have aired it anyway if it merely made him uncomfortable and he handled it better? Uh, I'm just curious again I'm not I'm not looking to necessarily defend the people or their positions in this sort of situation but I do wonder how much of this is they have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen and and how how they expect people to react and how much of it is they're guessing then they and they kind of hope that they think that it's going to work out in a certain way but it might not.
0: Uh, well and, I mean, and in in the, in the okay. crisis pregnancy centers, like the whole point of these you know, and they've been there have been like there have been legal battles over this type of operation and stuff, like they knew what they were going to get like this is the the point of this particular. Uh, of this particular business, which is a a sort of travesty of like did you notice that it was like a medical table an examination table that the girl was sitting on, and that like you know there was that like uh the ro- rolly tissue paper the doctor that only doctors have the doctor the doctor tissue paper you know that uh
3: uh there was an ultrasound machine in the corner.
0: Oh yeah. Maybe they do stuff. Yeah. Oh, oh right. So they, so they show you, yeah, 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 they exactly. show you ultrasounds of the baby so that you, you know, are disinclined. Um, you become emotionally attached and you're disinclined to, you know, continue with your, uh, with the abortion that you thought you could get at this, this medical facility. But yeah, they, I mean, I think in, in, in that case, I mean, I, I don't know. I I will think I will say I think that in this strain of clowning, right, like in this, um, you know, it's like broadly speaking, like bouffant clowning, which is the 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 clowning, not where you kind of do do silly things, um, but that like you are making fun of people you're like mocking you're mocking people directly you know often with like uh, making fun of the uh, something physical about them that they you know like this is when the you know when the circus clown like walks behind someone and like makes fun of their walk or something like that this this is the sort of style that's being employed though though you know i think with a little more refinement like there is a strain of cruelty to it right um I, I think yeah, definitely the cl- I think this the claim would be it's no more cruel than the mirror is cruel. uh. You know, that that like that in all of its uh, in all of its kind of ridiculous glory and in all of its sort of ugly hypocrisy or whatever. Right. That this sort of clown sort of shows us shows us who we are. And I think that like you can argue you could probably argue that that. Even when it might have felt i don't know it might have felt mean spirited like you know the nice the nice grandmas at the the republican women's uh whatever meeting at that fairfield inn hotel you know uh were not certainly not out to harm anyone and and you know perhaps didn't uh you know didn't didn't deserve. To be ridiculed or mocked or sort of made to feel uncomfortable by a stranger, you know, in their own, uh, in their own kind of environment. And like, you know, maybe they're they're just being mocked for for who they are. And and shouldn't we be uncomfortable with that kind of thing? But I think you could have said the same thing about a lot of the 2006 movie as well, where like, in large part, people are are tr- just trying to be kind of hospitable. And like it, the social protocol is really unclear and how you like interact with a stranger who is not from here. and like it actually is a bizarre sort of tolerance um that allows people to you know that that kind of leads people to go along with with the ridiculous stuff right like uh and, and yet you know, Borat was more right about American culture I think than we were prepared to realize at the time, or at least I was, and a lot of my sort of right-thinking, you know, right-thinking liberal uh, liberal colleagues, right? Like that, you know, oh, it's just, it's, uh, you know, the fact that he could sort of lead the people to, to sing the Throw the Jew Down the Well song, you know, you could say like, oh, well, this is kind of a combination of the Milgram experiment and also a sort of sales job, right, where you get people to say yes to something small, and then yes to something again, and then yes to a to a third thing, and you kind of gradually increase the ask. You gradually, as it were, raise the voltage, you know, so that you are kind of boiling the moral frog slowly, and you don't realize the hot water you're in, the kind of like deadly hot water that you're in, until it's uh, until it's too late, until you're you're shouting, throw the Jew down the well uh, at this thing. And is that, you know, is that just is that just kind of socially engineered? And yet (laughs) and yet, you know, in the last four years and I I don't know why I would choose the period four years in particular, but in the last four years, we've seen the kind of the most virulent, uh, you know, kinds of of uh, hateful speech and discourse like. Just out there, it's a, they don't need Sasha Baron Cohen to say throw the Jew down the well. Like they put it on T-shirts and signs, and like march around American cities with that uh, with that kind of thing. Like the the scene in the movie, and you know, spoilers for for the subsequent movie film Borat movie. Like um, the scene in the movie where he's like, "Yeah, can you put on the the chocolate cake? Jews will not replace us." Like that's oh, that's man. a a real thing. <laughs> you know, that was like a real sort of chanting slogan. Uh, chanting slogan of the thing. So, like, I, I get Matt. I get Matt. Why you're, I get why you're uncomfortable. I I also think his track record is pretty good, right? Like if you had sort of bet on Sasha Baron Cohen in uh, if you had bet on Sasha Baron Cohen being right in 2006, you know you you would uh, that bet would have paid off. And if you had bet on David Brooks being right in 2006 when he sort of reviewed the movie in his uh, column in the New York Times and called it just sort of mean spirited, snobbish, you know, uh, baiting of of the yokel by a, um, you know an a elite educated class right and and these are, poor people are the salt of the earth uh, and and don't deserve this treatment like no that's wrong they're, they're a bunch of uh, just, hate they're a bunch of filled racists and they absolutely do deserve this uh, they actually do deserve this treatment at least I, you know
1: I, I mean but David I mean okay like here's the thing that that's why i want to distinguish the the cake thing was great right and that's a great moment when he when he asks for the end of cake slogan and she does it bad and i but i think one of the the most infamous moments from the first borat movie and i think it's interesting to go back and revisit it because i remember you know being thoroughly um delighted by it is where he somehow talks his way into a rodeo to sing the national anthem, and then replaces the lyrics of the national anthem with made-up lyrics to the Kazakhstan national anthem. So he just butchers the national anthem. he gets he gets uh, soundly booed. and I think in real life, um had to like escape uh, under threat of physical violence, perhaps unsurprisingly. Um, And that I I actually was um, reading sort of a behind the scenes story is that the uh, original director of uh, Borat, um, the the guy that, you know, the guy who directed Old School and the Joker, who am I thinking of? Um, You know, he actually quit after that because of like death threats. Not um, it was it was Larry Charles stepped in and directed, but the original yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, he was the original director. And he had he had to step out after that. But here's the deal, like, like isn't that like mean spirited and like like faking your way into a rodeo to butcher the national anthem just so you can get booed? That's just like a jackass stunt, right? Like that's something that like Steve O does. I don't quite know what the social. I mean, it only has social commentary if you feel like everybody at that rodeo is morally repugnant because of who they are and where they live and the lifestyle that they've chosen and they deserve to have their national anthem mocked to their faces
0: or yeah. Or the, or that Americana, right. Tends to be, there's really more about sort of Americana and like symbols of, of triumphalism. But like, I, I agree that it was, I, that it was, you know, um, I agree that it was deeply offensive, right. Like, and, and that, that is kind of, that it is was? kind of the thing, right.
2: It, it was deeply offensive. Yeah. <laughs> isn't it what was deeply offensive to 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 sing a fake national anthem in front of a bunch of rodeo fans
0: kid, i th- i think that like at a moment you know at a moment where you're expecting a very kind of like sentimental celebration of something that you care about you know for someone to kind of mock that is uh, is offensive right to you from ah. the point of from the point of view of the people I'll, I'll bet many of them felt deeply offended by that
2: i mean upset perhaps but i mean i, I guess so I feel like there's two different things that are being said here that I, I want to see if I can understand them both at the same time. It, I, I feel like it does feel more like a jackass stunt and that there's a dimension of Borat's comedy that is kind of like a jackass stunt. That it, I, it might be a little bit too much to say that it is always uh, an interrogation of that sort. Or I guess more along the lines of... Uh, if we're talking about that style, you've referred to it as Buffon clowning, right? I have. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, what degree, what sort of general degree of expectation and familiarity w- should an audience generally have for a moment of unexpected
0: Buffon's clowning? I mean, what uh, what right? what uh, what expectation should they have? <laughs>
2: well, what, what expectation ought they to have? Well, what expectation would you anticipate that they would have? Should, in the sense of Okay, I'm going to guess. Right. So, for example, if the Philly fanatic comes onto the stage right in a Phillies game with a microphone and fake sings the national anthem, I don't think that's deeply offensive because they there's an expectation that there's going to be this dimension of unexpected comedy that's going to happen. So that's that's sort of one extreme. Right. Is you're at a low stakes entertainment venue, which has clowns. Right. And so it might, might be the case that at one of these kinds of things, something unexpectedly silly might happen. Uh, right. And so, um, I, and to what extent is it, is it deep? Is it, I guess the degree of surprise relates to the degree of shock. And, and then to me then makes it feel like, uh, the degree of pity that you would have for the audience might be related to their degree of shock. Uh, maybe, um, or, or I guess what to the degree to which their expectation is being uh, defied, and their and their immediate gut reaction to their expectation being defied in some very very dramatic way is being perhaps used out of context. Right. Um, I mean, I don't know if I were at a baseball game, a horse
0: fell over, an actual horse fell over
2: (laughs) the horse that happens all the time in rodeos. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not I'm again, I'm not saying that there isn't a reason to be upset, but I think that on the sort of graded scale of things that might happen, the thing that's interesting about that scene is the is the ferocity of the booing. And, And I don't I don't think it I think that that is a little surprising because I don't think it is a foregone conclusion. That doing that kind of gag before the rodeo has even started would be deeply offensive to everybody who's there, right? It might just be seen as a gag, uh, possibly. And I guess that's part of the experiment. You're probably you're going to see what they're going to do. Um, and I don't know. I just I wouldn't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily exoticize these people to the degree that I would I would take it as a foregone conclusion that like this guy going out there who's obviously a buffoon doing a thing that's obviously buffoonish. Should be something we should expect it to be something that's that's deeply hurtful,
3: right? Um, Since we're talking about two thousand and six, like another piece of important context for the first Barret movie was the Iraq War, right? And the very notion of like what does it mean to put American symbols on display at all? And right. so yeah, I think that's right. Like you know that was the experiment, that was the satire. like what would they, what would their reaction be? Would they laugh and think this this is like just like titter and think this is like you know kind of awkward and weird, or do they just like Become extremely, extremely irrationally upset. So, yeah, I think that's what's going on there. Let me put another kind of um, uh, framework on on these stunts here to see if this helps clarify what's going on here. Which is um, the FBI uh, sometimes comes under criticism for um, for lack of a better word, entrapment. In other words, they'll find like a troubled young Muslim man um, and. Basically say, hey, you wanna do you wanna commit some terrorism? I got some bombs for you. And the guy's like, no, 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 I'm not into that. It's just like, no, 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 no. I want some bombs. It's like, no, 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 I'm not into that. Okay, let's just hang out and play PlayStation. And then three months later, um, you know, the the government guy, uh, the, the informant or or plant or whatever, has managed to um entrap, ensnare, um, trick uh this uh, vulnerable person who otherwise would just kind of you know gone about his life. Um, into some act that the government they can prosecute as terrorism, right? Uh, you guys are familiar with this, right? This is a uh, was definitely a thing uh, in the maybe like you know eight years or so after after nine eleven. Um, probably still is a thing now, um, but um, there was this sense of like, hey, this feels kind of unjust and wrong. Um and can you draw a line then between like that and Borat any of the variety of Borat stunts where he takes someone, you know, and kind of you know does that uh you know a boiling of the of the moral frog bit, you know, whether it's the frat boys in um in in, in the in the RV who, who who advocate for the legalization of slavery or any of the number of the victims in this more recent thing here. Is there a similarity there, or is there a difference? I mean, I've got one, you know, straight off, uh, off the top of my head, but I want to just kind of like, you know, lob that, um, lob that ball up there for one of you to hit. It, you the call park. it. You call them victims, which is interesting to me that is how the 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 sort of the fbi uh, entrap, uh, entrapment examples oh, like how sure. they've the been victor- described.
0: sorry i thought you were talking about sasha Baron Cohen. i i i uh, do that concur- is a
3: word that is a word that has been used to describe yeah the, the people yeah, who have I, been the subject of uh, of his stunts yeah
1: but I, mark i i think i'm with you that i sort of wonder to what extent they were I don't want to say lie to, but manipulated into saying the things that seem abhorrent. So, a good example is like there's a guy at the hardware store and he, he gets like a take of propane and he asks him, like, how many gypsies could I gas with this take? If I put gypsies in a van, I open up this take of propane, how many would he gas? And the guy just sort of eventually is like, I guess however many were in the van. And it's supposed to be this gotcha moment where he's like, oh, this guy is cool with genociding gypsies. What a horrible person. And I do sort of wonder how selectively it was edited or or if they told him that it was sort of part of a. I mean, he knows he's being filmed. So, I, you know, I don't think it's like he in his heart of hearts has like a, a genocidal vendetta against gypsies. So I, I do kind of want to give him the benefit of the, do- the doubt. it be like that guy was a- trapped into saying something that sounds Oh, oh I'll, tell you
3: one, I'll tell you one better, though, and I'm surprised we haven't talked about this yet. The Giuliani bit. Mm-hmm. right which yes, is that like you know that's supposed to be the ultimate gotcha yeah. right and trapped into the situation where he's being shown as this like terrible perv um and you know so, so, okay so let me just like kind of cash on my argument here right which is that um it's all about punching up versus punching down right um in the example of the troubled young muslim man right that's like a an instance of punching down right because you have mainstream society who's taking someone who is on the outs and then um uh putting them to go putting them through a situation that uh that that results in them uh getting a, a pretty bad, bad shake of it you know at the uh in, at the hands of uh mainstream society uh in uh, the instance of the frat boys uh getting their comeuppance, right that is an instance of punching you could argue that's an instance of punching up because they're what are they they're white men right you know who are the inheritors of the of legacy of, of white supremacy um likewise with um with rudy Giuliani, of course you know was 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 a powerful man in and of itself um he's american that, that that that's connected with matt what you were talking about before right with this you know the david brooks thinking that um that Baron Cohen was punching down on middle america um but clearly Baron Cohen sees himself as punching up against against all of america,
0: yeah or against the, i mean against a strain of you know i think a, against a strain of Um, I, you know, I, the, the ADL speech is really interesting, It's kind of an interesting text, um, like in, in counterpoint to a lot of this, because he actually talks about sort of how he sees, you know, uh, he talks about how he sees what he does and that like a little bit it's um you know it's Monty Python-esque and that it's you know now we see the violence inherent in the system you know uh the the, sorry to that reference just completely not land um that like uh the um that there is kind of a, a latent potential. There is kind of a latent violent or kind of a latent hateful potential um, in a lot of these a lot of these situations. And like, sort of, what is the how much of a of a match do you need? Do you need to light um, in order to? You know, in order to kind of bring that, in order to bring that out. And that's like, you know, to a certain extent, the, the, uh, the, what the kind of frat boys who like get, um, who are like, yes, let's let's bring back slavery. Like, you know, th- he's, he's talking; he's not talking about them particularly. At least, that's not how I took it at the time. I, at least, as I seem to recall it, I, I think he's talking about a, the culture that doesn't, you know, that that doesn't sort of that talks about slavery in a particular way, or that like parts of it are, are you know are really nostalgic for it. So they they are you know they are a sort of synecdoche for uh for the the broader culture but like what you know the the um the one let's see from the a d l speech that that stands out to me in this in this regard um is the uh the kiss in the bruno movie when they're doing the mma fight right and the the stage mma fight they realize that they uh, are in love and don't want to fight each other and so they kiss in the the two fighters men kiss in the middle of the M- mma fight in the like um you know uh, whatever shape it is, <laughs> every, yeah, octagon. Uh, sh- sure, um, but that like, <laughs> Wait, uh, do you
2: not believe me? <laughs> do you think I would have lied to you?
0: <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you say it's an octagon. I, you know, I'm not sure how many. Teach sides. some
3: controversy. He's the controversy. Matt, it... <laughs> we step into the octagon of discourse every <laughs> Sunday Gary. Surely you know of the octagon. I didn't
0: know. I didn't know if the octagon was only a. Uh, That's true. Uh, they
2: never say it's an octagon. They always say it's the octagon so maybe that's only one place they have. i didn't didn't know if
0: the the octagon was like a trademark of the ultimate fighting uh franchise right and whether other mma fights don't uh you know can't use that terminology or they'll be sued but you know there they are and it's like a chain link fence or something like that and apparently they incited a riot right and like people started climbing the chain link fence and they had to escape through a, a trap door that they had you know Pre-planted there in case stuff went sideways, right? And that, like, the what what he says in the ADL speech is that there is a sort of that it exposes a violent potential in uh, homophobia. And like, Sasha Baron Cohen is a guy who did actually who did the uh, academic study of fascism and of these kind of extremist movements. And I I think that like. Uh, Not to he doesn't need me to put words in his mouth, but but I'm guessing that the claim would be something along the lines of this style of, um, you know, this style of movement, right, tends to some very ugly and dark places. And it's it's a question of how much you know, uh, like lighting a, like lighting a grill or something like that. Like it it's a question of like how hot a flame, you know, well, I guess flames are all the same heat, but like how much of a flame do you need and how long do you have to hold it there while the grill click, 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 click click, tries to light. Right. But like eventually you're going to end up with a huge conflagration, you know, and that is the thing that, that, that that's being, you know that that's being revealed. I I think there was a case 15 years ago that it was being revealed at least to sort of a polite society, right? Like but it's not uh, I'm not sure it's being revealed anymore. It's it's maybe more being reminded and a lot of the the more sort of trenchant stuff um to me it was the was the journey of the daughter in in this particular one like g- kind of getting the Conflicting messages about what femininity means in america um right and and uh I'm not sure how representative any of the people that they that they choose were, but it was definitely like a um it was definitely a really mixed bag in terms of the advice that she got about being. Uh, the advice that she got about being a woman or like the, you know, the doctor who said, Hey, if your father's uh, father weren't here, I, you know, I'd be getting busy with you right now, uh, to this girl who she, th- you know, who was pro- checked in as 15 or at least, I don't know. That was the, the story, the story point, uh, in the movie. Like, did the daughter change the movie at all for you guys? Like, what did you think of the, of the presence of this, this other actor, um, in all of these scenes? I realize now I probably shouldn't throw a, throw a question out without addressing no, we can answer it a the specific question. Person. It, we
2: can answer the question, Matt. I, you, you just said a lot. Uh, you just said an awful lot. Um, but yeah, we can pivot. We can pivot. I don't necessarily think we were totally cashed out on talking through that other stuff, but um, in terms of the daughter, it makes a lot of sense, right? I think it first of all, I love Logan. So Logan too has been really welcome. It's been really great to see, you know, a great, uh, um, you know, a great kind of American and, or rather, I guess, He's not really American. He's more from the sort of uh, Commonwealth of Independent States or whatever, right? Uh, it's it sort of uh, like sort of uh, American adjacent antihero. Really, bring up uh, a woman in his fo- to follow in his footsteps when he can't really uh, wear the claws anymore.
1: I mean, not uh, not just American. You know what I was thinking during this movie is a little bit of Anna Green Gables and a little bit of a Heidi with Shirley Temple. Yeah. There is a there is a final literary tradition of these sort of crusty. Uh, uncouth um, men, older men, who are then sort of uh, uh, tempered and uh, redeemed by their sort of uh,
2: uh, wise, uh, benevolent daughters. Right, like Curly Sue with uh, James Belushi, right? Did Burt Reynolds do one of those where he had like a little girl who taught him what he was supposed to be, what he was supposed to be like?
0: Bill Murray, right? Or was it Belushi?
2: Oh, wait, who was Curly Sue? Maybe Curly Sue was... uh, with somebody else.
0: But, I remember yeah, I just. Sure, sure. But that's, that's one like, um, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of, there are a lot of versions of this.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's not just, it's not just Logan and, and one. But no, I mean, I thought it's, it's great for a couple of reasons, right? It's great because you sort of figure that people won't keep falling for Borat because everybody now knows it's hard to find people who don't know who Sacha Baron Cohen is. So if you want to keep doing the same gag, you need somebody else to front it. And so setting it up as, you know, passing the torch or, or setting this bringing in this Bulgarian actress that nobody's going to recognize is a pretty smooth move. And I think that the uh, she was really good. I thought that she did a really good job. Uh, I don't, I didn't I mean, there are scenes which, as I understand it, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. He was speaking Hebrew and she was speaking Bulgarian but they were passing it off as Kazakh and subtitling it and not referencing yeah. that they were speaking different languages.
1: Is that true? So my, my wife actually uh, did watch the movie with me, your so wife, I,
2: your wife watched that.
1: My wife did watch the movie. I can't, uh, no, nah, I can't do it. Oh, no, um, we're
2: done. That, 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 that joke is over. Uh, it's over. That's um, a,
0: yeah. That's a, that's a Borat impersonation foul. There's a, uh, <laughs> there's a flag. There's an American flag on the field, which is deeply <laughs> offensive because it's touching the ground. And Pete, you were right. It is Jim Belushi. And, uh, and Curly Sue. I thought it was Fair Bill enough. Murray. I, I remembered it. Wrong if there's only
2: head. one thing to be right about, I guess that's where you want to cash it in, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> is, the, is
0: where what movies is Jim Belushi in and uh, Jim Belushi not in? So, uh, Matt, what did what did your my wife think of the film?
1: Well, she is uh, Israeli and speaks uh, Hebrew as her native language, and said that it was a little bit bizarre to watch it because he. Pretty much says exactly what it says in the subtitles in uh, um, in Israel. It, it's it's actually interesting, like some of the differences. I think there was a line that in the subtitles he's talking about, like a, a woman ran a business once and her head fell off. And um, and, and and then he points to the man again is like evidence is like, see, that's what happened to her. And I think in Hebrew, he literally just says, like, all the blood fell out of her head or something like a little more graphic about it. Um but it is true that like he's he's speaking Hebrew and she's answering in Bulgarian. Um which I guess just only means that like this stuff is pretty heavily at least the stuff between them is pretty heavily scripted and they weren't just uh, improvising on the fly.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, and I felt like this the differences between the different styles of joke that they're pulling it, there's the angle that we were uh, uh, approaching and observing before which is well what's there Cultural significance. What is there? Are they are they mean? Are they not mean? Is it fair? Is it unfair? Uh, what feels more fair than what else? But but I think in this movie, and this was something that emerged first in Bruno. I think for as a as a major factor is that it's never really a hundred percent certain. Well, not never. There are certain places where it becomes very familiar, and it is a hundred percent certain what's going on. But it's not really clear how much of the movie is Kfab and how much of the movie is improvised and how much is scripted and how much is discovered, right? It's, it's sort of uncovered. And I guess that is interesting, but it also is a little bit jarring. It kind of disrupts, at least for me, it kind of disrupted my sense of being along for the ride for the movie, which maybe that's a feature rather than a bug. But in the conversations between Borat and his daughter about the myths of Kazakh patriarchy, uh, I felt pretty detached from the movie. I, I didn't. I didn't quite connect with what was being said or why. Um, I, maybe it was the subtitles, but that that wouldn't be. I watch a lot of a lot of subtitled anime, so I should probably do okay with that stuff. But I don't know. Did you guys feel similarly that there were these like there were tonal shifts and there were shifts in what the reality was that pulled me out of it a little bit? Um, I, I loved that she was in the movie and I loved her her the way her sort of doing the alley g. Uh, she did it very well. I felt like. But I wasn't clear about their relationship scenes and and I mean what what were you getting out of it maybe that I wasn't uh is, is I guess a question I would raise to the group. You
1: know what I got at the very end is a lot of anchor man. But you know, mm. because like first of all, they become journalists, but it's the same sort of vibe where he is a huge misogynist, a comically huge misogynist, and she is like a feminist who wants or you know certainly becomes by the middle of the movie a sort of feminist who wants to, you know, can do everything a man can do, can do better than a man can do. And she has to admit that she's right. And so that they can then move forward as equals. And I mean, it adds a father daughter dynamic, but it's the same, especially when they, when they were like broadcasting together and matching suits at the end, it might as well just be them uh, talking about the birth of the panda at the San Diego zoo.
2: (laughs) Right. Cause it's like the, uh, the, the actual content of what they're saying doesn't matter so much. Or...
1: although i mean honestly that was i think that was uh, so many of the kazakh scenes were both funnier and also much more interesting than the american scenes to me that i almost wish it had been like an entire movie set in, in this sort of fictional cartoonish kazakhstan because like the the running of the american at the end <laughs> was both very funny but also i think i think comes around to something approaching the point which is that almost in the way that throughout human history the jew has been the sort of boogeyman for the global community is almost like what he's saying is that really it's the american the ugly american should be that sort of villainous um figure in the eyes of the sort of worldwide you know the 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 struggling classes Uh, that that's that's the real people that you should be uh, hanging in effigy and it's really interesting and really dark to think about yeah
3: that's good Uh, i thought i thought you were gonna say well this related point which is that um You know, for, you know, especially for the post-Cold War period, right? You know, the rest of the Western world has looked down their noses at these post, you know, former Soviet backwater countries, the various stands. And I don't mean like in the K-pop stand kind of sense. I mean, like the Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, that means like they horribly backwater and poor places. But no, like, you know, America is the backwater now. I think that's that's something that's going on there. But I like your interpretation uh, Blinky better because it speaks to uh Baron Cohen's uh, you know, strong sense of Jewish identity, of course. Um, to, Pete, to go back to what you're talking about before about um, the how jarring the movie was in terms of coming in and out of these phases of um, of quote unquote reality versus scripted and things like that, I'm with you on that, I found it jarring. Um, because like it was, you know, very obvious that the the father daughter scenes were very scripted, and then you know, and then you, know, you can go to something on the other end of the spectrum, like the uh, the CPAC um, scene, right, where he crashes Mike Pence's speech. That's clearly staged. and No one else is in on it except for uh, the two actors uh, that uh, uh, you know, the, the principals in this. But there's a very strange gray area in the middle, in particular with the two. Uh, I'll charitably call them rednecks, the conspiracy theorists. That he that he takes refuge with uh, during during the lockdown, Um, I really thought that they were in on it. That they were plants, right? Another better a better example of this is that the quote unquote babysitter, um, the black woman in this, I am ninety nine percent sure that she was an actor, uh, a paid actor. Uh, That that was a fairly scripted scenes as well too. Yeah, Uh, with like a thin veneer that it might not have been. But the two, um, the two conspiracy guys, do you guys think that they were in on this? They had to have been, right? How could they not have been? Well,
2: I don't know what the circumstances were. Was he living with them? Was he just with them for an afternoon?
3: I, 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 I you have no yeah. way of knowing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I've I've read some things where he he's
1: said in interviews that, that that was real and that was the most difficult thing that he's ever done because he literally lived with them for five days and he had to stay in character the whole time. What I assume happened is that he told them – that he was like a foreign journalist doing a foreign TV show and he paid the money to, you know, because he needed a place to stay. And so, like, I don't think they did it out of the kindness of their hearts. Um, and, yeah, I mean, for, so for my money, I think those guys were real. I think that the babysitter was not real because that stuff was too perfect and it, it also was like so so plot contingent that it just felt like you couldn't risk it not coming out the way that you needed. You needed to be able to do those scenes like multiple times and just get what you needed to be able to do that pivot for that character. Um, it, yeah, it, I can't just believe that it all happened that way through serendipity. But yeah, like I, I kind of believe that the the redneck guys are real. You know what else I, I read is that um, the QAnon rally was actually a, a set up like the, the actual rally was the production company put it on, which is brilliant, by the way, that they did that, that they just figured out that we could throw our own QAnon event. Everybody would show up and then we we could set up cameras wherever we could get them on the stage at any time with no problem because we would be in control of the events. Um, I'd love to see a documentary about the behind the scenes because I'm sure that there are a whole bunch of hilarious stories um and sort of ingenious uh um, stratagems behind the scenes not to mention the fact that they've already um sort of tweeted on social media that at one point they got borat's daughter in the white house and they had her talking to uh to trump jr and i can only assume that like either they just don't have the releases that they felt that they couldn't use that footage or maybe it didn't come you know maybe she was there but she didn't really talk to anybody um i don't know but um
2: yeah i think i think those guys are real unfortunately And the babysitter, well, it's because it's interesting because I guess from a reality television perspective, they could be real, but then edited so heavily that very little of what they really said or did comes across to the audience. Well, I shouldn't say what they really said or did, but more that if you were to be in the room with them, you might have drawn a very different conclusion about what they were like than what was portrayed in the movie. And I say this not to defend them because they aren't portrayed that badly in the movie. We, like I was surprised, right? How he's he's pretty forgiving to them. I mean, they say a bunch of terrible, crazy things, but they aren't they aren't they don't they're not fully unhinged. They they sort of at least the arc of the discussion that they have has an anticlimax, where at the end they're they're they pull up short of being fully unhinged, right? And and it's and I'm sort of thinking like, um, well, what is what is the what is the story that the editor is trying to tell me about what's happening? And is it is it just to move it to the next story beat? In which case, I don't know. I guess here's here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. The movie, to, have, to be shooting this movie and then to have COVID happen in the middle of the movie and to make this great leap of thinking, okay, we're going to keep shooting the movie and we're going to get involved in the QAnon COVID denier scene. We are going to go undercover and we are going to film during COVID people in lockdown and see their reactions, I was confused that so little of it made it into the final movie. Maybe, that, maybe that's what yeah. really gets me about it, is that, oh man, he's meeting this guy and he's going to go live with him. Is he going to go interview a whole bunch of people? Is he going to find out a bunch about what they're doing? And it seemed to sort of be a short, light part of the movie. I didn't clock it, but it was sort of like, it just didn't seem to be as much there given the gravity of what was going on uh i was confused i guess i would say that i was confused yeah no pete Um, to go back to something you
1: said earlier it feels like i don't want to say he pulls his punches because we don't know how much he was doing behind the scenes that just didn't work out but like at one point the the event that he goes to i think it's way back in um i don't know february or march or something is cpac is the conservative political action committee or something and that's where mike pence is speaking and That I mean, you got to figure like behind the scenes there, the conversations that go on must be so offensive and so cynical and so horrific. And the only things he does is walk in there in a Klan robe and then um, interrupt the speech wearing a Trump costume, offering Mike Pence a girl. And I feel like both those things seem really limp. Compared with like what you could really do if you went behind the scenes and tried to like record people in bars and 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 you know get get up to hotel rooms and and you know find out what these people really think of the rubes. it, it just it just sort of felt like that's the best you could do. And I mean I got to believe that they tried to engage people in conversation and either people were onto them or they could get anyone to sign the release. And and maybe you're right. I think, Pete, you're the one who hypothesized that maybe they go into these situations trying to get people – trying to give people enough rope to hang themselves. But then if they don't get anything, instead of leaving up the handed, they're like, OK, we'll go to the Trump costume. We'll just we'll, – right. we'll make a spectacle and that will at least be something – that's fun in an audacious way, even though it's not that sort of like, I can't believe we nailed this guy on camera. We, we got him saying something that like, he's, he's going to have to defend now.
3: Right. Which they didn't
1: they didn't really do, but I, I sort of agree with you that besides that one moment, which I think was the highlight of the movie where he sings the song as a, what is it like country Steve or whatever it is. <laughs> and he gets everybody to sing along gleefully about chopping up the journalist and infecting Obama with the Wuhan flu. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of really nailing these people to the wall. Maybe the thing with the instagram, uh, you know, the Instagram persona where she's just so upfront about the fact that like you have to be submissive, you
2: can't appear smart. right. yeah, cause cause I think this takes back to what I was feeling a little unsatisfied with when we were talking before. um because Matt, you were uh, Matt rather, you were making a great point, which is that a lot of these people, there's a lot of deserving that's happening here right and it's particularly they show us you know the the blatant lies from the leadership at the conservative conference about you know the nature of the federal response to the virus and and the risk to people and and the sort of real double thinky really just flagrant misrepresentation of basic elements of behavior that everybody can see right and and everybody can you can look at the speeches that are shown from the cpac part and you can recognize that these are liars and they are and we from what we know now due to the sort of dramatic irony of what they maybe or maybe didn't know then you know responsible for a great deal of human suffering and death on a, on a grand epic scale and so they deserve to be punked at the very least right Uh, But at the same time, my 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 confusion and disorientation with it isn't necessarily that it's unfair to go into their conference and punk them. I guess as much as it's not as satisfying as the normal sort of thing that I would expect Borat to do, uh, which is to draw them out and get them to embarrass themselves. Which I guess you can't do every time. Is it you can't do it every time? Or is it that this is a different style of humor that that is is co-equal with the other style of humor and should be considered as sort of part of an overall composition. And if so, how do they fit together? Right? Like, uh, you know, I don't know. Right? I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't come away from the movie. Maybe. Maybe I don't know whether it's the kind of yeah, thing what, where somebody could say something. What would be satisfying?
0: What would be satisfying to you under those circumstances?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well. Exactly. Right. Like, like I'm like, not.
0: I'm not sure. Like, I can't really. I can't think about it. I was talking to someone else about this. This this movie um i try not to talk to people other than you uh folks in the uh in the real world but like uh i i sometimes <laughs> you and gus is that how it works? <laughs> yeah the dog, he's he's the wisest one of all my of us dog.
2: <laughs> my dog my doggy um,
0: he's
2: got the floppy ears
0: uh yeah he has he absolutely does uh Floppies. sorry i was gonna make up a borat song but but actually and you know so the 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 friend of mine who I was i was talking to he was talking about um kind of as a kind of dissatisfaction and he used a counter example of someone who is on the daily show now who i don't really recognize who is like uh you know they they um The this person on the Daily Show like goes into these things and like uses their words against them, you know, and like reveals their hypocrisy or like, uh, whatever, like sort of, like reveals the like the the pro, you know, the logical disjunctions in their thinking. And I, I mean, I was thinking this at the time. I didn't really say it, but like, I think that's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's like, like, you know, you're like one of these people sitting there with a, 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 copy of, uh, you know, logical fallacies and like Schopenhauer's like 32 ways to win an argument or whatever it is. And like being like, ah, ah, you, you have committed the post hoc fallacy, sir. And like, uh, by, by, by your own admission, like it's not, uh, th- they don't care. Like your, your opponent is not committed to this sort of framework of fact-based, uh, logical reasoning, you know, that, that, uh, that you're committed to that sort of makes you feel so superior when you, um, Right. Like uh, when you like score your score, your logical points on them. And like, I I honestly Pete, think I think that like punking them is kind of the be- maybe the best that we have, uh, which is awful <laughs> to 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 think about in in political discourse. But there is sort of a strain of. um, You know, th- there is a strain of like almost nihilistic. uh you know kind of philosophy to to a lot of the the stuff that you see where it's just like oh yeah you know this is all to pwn the libs and it's like okay but like y- you've set your house on fire to pwn the libs and like hey good for you libs totally pwned uh but um your house is on fire you know and uh i i the the and you you know you you don't have anywhere to live anymore so you know way to way to get the libs and and like if someone is that committed like you you're sort of pot committed at that point you're throwing good money after bad discursively you know um that, like if someone is that committed to to like doing that to behaving in that way, your you know carefully reasoned logical argument is not going to do anything right like it 's not going to accomplish anything um, to point out to them how they are like engaging in the the schopenhauer bad faith. Uh, parody or, you know, thing like uh, I. it was it was great. Schopenhauer, really, he wrote like an onion. He wrote like a McSweeney's listicle uh, before that, you know, hundreds of years before that was a thing. Uh, I'll link it up in the show notes in case you don't know the thing, the thing that I'm talking about. But like what, you know. <sighs> you sort of want you sort of want to win like you want a big you want one in the w column and like i i don't know i, I don't know if that's a thing that we get anymore Oh come um, on! You, you don't know. have to
2: despair that much.
0: No, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a thing that we that we get any. You're man, you're like, you're like, uh, you're like Mister Reasonable. This podcast, Pete. Oh. You're like, you don't exoticize the rednecks such that they they don't understand what's a joke and what's not. And also, we don't have to despair that much. Like you're right, ra- you're you're so rational. You're so oh moderate. You're so moderate, Pete. You're so. It's 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 like no. it's like david brooks no, to, no Matt, here's the thing, the thing
2: that, here's the thing okay it's i don't think that it's about whether along this particular axis things are kind of successful or failures or whatnot There definitely is the element of of what is the axis what is the sort of axis that you want to pursue not like axis like you know, the dude in the movie who has the hand signal. But I mean, like, what's the continuum, the sort of angle, the vector that you're looking to pursue this on? So, so for example, right, when you talked a little bit about the about the rodeo, one more thing I would say about the rodeo is, like, I don't take it as a foregone conclusion when somebody at a sporting event, like, curses and yells that they're actually bothered. They might have just gone to the sporting event for the, the purpose of yelling at people, right? And kind of getting uh, upset at things that they don't like. I mean, that's kind of a part of sports. So, so that was sort of part of it that I left unsaid, which was like, well, just because somebody yells like, you know, I hate you, Derek Jeter, blah, 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 all sorts of other stuff. I don't think that necessarily means that like Derek Jeter did anything to, to provoke <laughs> the uh, the response right, um, nor that it is particularly even about Derek Jeter. Uh, certainly not anymore, because uh, that that is an old Borat kind of reference. I guess now it would be like F you, Mike Trout, which is not something you hear a lot for various reasons. Probably mostly related to the lack of popularity of baseball. But it's more like, um, well, what? Okay, so one of the interesting things about the Giuliani segment, I thought, and this connects to it, right? So because we haven't really talked about what happens in the Giuliani segment, and I think that. The the social media did seem to somewhat misconstrue, I think, what happened in the Giuliani segment because they focused too much on the perception that she was underage, which isn't really the point, I think. Because, well, first of all, I think I don't know how old is the actress, right? Um, then, and I guess oh, I mean, that's actually that she's
0: twenty four. She's she's yeah. like a drama school graduate. I thought she was yeah. very good, but the the um yeah, no, I, I agree that like, uh, that she was, she was underage because that wasn't part of how she was presenting. She was presenting like a, uh, sort of professional journalist. She was preve- pre- presenting like, uh, you know, a woman doing, doing a job. And the part that got to me was the like, the, like, the condescending padding and the whole, you know, the, the, um, just the way that he was treating a, you know, presumably a, professional person doing a job because she was a a cute woman.
2: And not only a professional person doing a job, but an Eastern European working for a hard right wing news organization.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Right.
2: Which is like not a trivial part of what's happening in that scene. Right. Is that she's this blonde, you know, this blonde woman who shows up to interview him for this sycophantic, hardcore right wing thing. And she's Eastern European. And it like, it isn't really brought up that that's a little strange. Right. Um, And then and then the expectation that he's going to be adored by her. And furthermore, the expectation that once they're in private, she's going to either she either she's going to do sexual favors for him or he's going to get himself off while she does whatever she does. Right. And and like and just the idea that this this just seems like a very comfortable sort of interaction for him, that this that this sequence of events plays out. I mean, that's going to permanently change my uh, general feeling about what Rudy Giuliani is like. Uh, not that my was particularly solicited of that of that opinion too often. Um, but that's interesting, right? That's something that we didn't necessarily think of before. Like, oh, are all of these people who are like fawning all over these guys, like giving them a whole bunch of sexual favors such that they've become accustomed to it, like in order to secure the kind of narrative that they want or what's going on here? Right? There's What I'm say- suggesting is like confronting Mike Pence at the podium of CPAC with the expectation that he's he's going to say anything other than what he planned to say, that's just not a continuum, right? Oh, which there's anything interesting that you're going to be able to find out. Where are, what is the, what is actually going on? It's kind of the overweening question here, right? Like to get to the point where you're actually talking about something that matters, you got to figure out what what is, what is happening. And, and I think that one of the things that's so unmooring about the current moment is that we don't really know a lot of the time what's happening and not that we necessarily ever really do. But I feel like to a greater extent than normal, the, the things that are happening that we don't understand are having a pretty powerful effect on our lives uh, on a day-to-day basis and, and are making it and are also kind of confronting and challenging really core ideas and beliefs that motivate, you know, going to work in the morning, right? Like uh, doing, living, going about, you know, living, living our lives. And and you you
0: actually go to work. Like uh, check check you're going to check your are leaving the house privilege, Pete.
2: <laughs> oh, no, no, no. My work is in the basement. I go to work and then I like I get up and I go over and I eat food and and I like see my son and then I wish them a good day and then I go to work do do to do commute down into the basement right? like where I sit in the basement by myself in the middle of the woods right and I, and I work. I do my work game. Um, but no, I know what you're saying. I I know what you're saying. It's, uh, but yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying is is that I I hate the work. I hate
0: the work game. It's all grinding and you can never beat the final boss.
2: (laughs) I want to just speed run it and find a glitch. Right. That that lets me skip to the, (laughs) right. Exactly. To the, to
0: the princess level. Right.
2: Yeah. I guess, I guess the idea is, is what I'm trying to say is that if it seems like a particular avenue of inquiry is fruitless and has become meaningless, maybe it's no longer the relevant avenue of inquiry. And maybe it's worth trying to find a different avenue of inquiry. Maybe. I don't know. That's not a solution. That's just an idea. And I feel like this movie was getting there, right? They, they, they I think they understood at certain points what was going on. I just wonder whether the COVID thing really threw them off. Did they have other things planned that they didn't get to do? Um, did things not turn out the way that they wanted? It was still a funny movie. Don't get me wrong. And and certainly it's a bit of a dagger at the end to to see just how just how ridiculously – uh, you know, Chris Grody, Like, uh, these sort of esteemed leadership is, uh, at a time when they're presuming to cast stones at others. And maybe we shouldn't presume to cast stones at anybody either, but you know, whatever it's stone casting time, I guess. I don't know somebody else, somebody else, Matt, Matt, you, you, I mean, I like this movie. I mean, Blinky, what what are you thinking about all this stuff about the sort of final revelations or like the, uh, the angles, the angles of attack or like the uh, relevant discourse, discursive avenues or, you know, what would be worth it? So if the CPAC pranks are underwhelming because we already know they're not going to amount to anything because, you know, that the floor of CPAC is not a place where people are going to actually say things that are kind of brutally honest and interesting because everyone's guard is up. You know, well what would they where would they go and what would they do in order to find out something interesting? Um I guess I guess is my is my question.
1: Yeah, I you know I, honestly you guys have given me a lot to think about. I feel like on the one hand there is this desire to, to nail into the wall with facts and logic, right? Is to confront them exactly what what the daily show friend was talking about, right? To to confront them with their own words and to point out the fact that like you guys say one thing but that sometimes you say another thing. How do you reconcile these two positions? And and rather's point is that like this is not this is not the game that we're playing anymore. Um, that, that pointing out the fact that like these people are hypocrites or these people are arguing in bad faith um, doesn't they, they'll just laugh at you for, for bothering to notice for, for being bothered by those things. And that the right way to, the right way to do this is to just make them look ridiculous. And to just disrupt them, and 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 to, and it's not so much a question of like uh, pointing out the fact that like Rudy Giuliani is you know a, a shameless propagandist, but it's just showing people that the emperor has no clothes and that he is a figure, a ridiculous figure, and, and almost like a a, a a piteous figure is like the way to go about this. Um, and I could kind of, I mean, I, I sort of wanted the former, but. Maybe maybe this moment unfortunately calls for the latter. That that like there is no room to simply like point out uh the fact that there's you know, to, to do a John Oliver approach is to slowly break down the the true facts behind what's being said and and, and point out the fact that like one America News Network is not getting you the whole truth. Um that that would be just uh playing their game, which is like, you know, getting caught in like trying to to use logic whereas that they obviously don't feel like they need to and so we should be thankful for borat not bothering to interrogate the CPAC people and try to catch them in lies but rather just going straight for the ludicrous right and just going straight into the clan robes and not even trying to converse with them and yeah i mean there is a part of me that that wishes that you could um that you could that you could win points simply by um, by being right, but I don't know, man. That's not the world we're living in. That's not the year that we, uh, fate handed to us. And maybe Borat is is not the hero we deserve, but he's the hero that we need. <laughs> Man, what a useful formulation, Christopher Nolan has handed us.
2: <laughs> <laughs> never say he never did nothing for you, right?
1: <laughs> the Dark Knight is a great movie in many ways, but maybe that, like that line, is the single greatest
2: contribution. It wasn't the line we deserved. It was the
0: line we needed right now. This has been the Overthinking It podcast. Thanks for listening. Matt, thanks for joining us. Pete and Mark, thanks as ever for uh, being stalwart Overthinking It podcast panelists. Uh, Please, all of of you, say hi to your wife. And, uh, and you say hi to your basset out <laughs> Oh, with his He's big so floppy cool. ears. So floppy. They are social so floppy, yes. And we will be back next week with more overthinking a podcast. Guys, one thing was that was nice. I think Pete, you said this last week when we were planning this. It was nice to watch a movie and talk about a movie, you know? Yeah. It, was, it felt good. It's yeah. almost like it's almost like normal times, you know? It's almost like we're back to normal, guys. We're back to normal. New uh, normal people, new normal. We made it. <laughs> we walked <laughs> (laughs) We've walked through fire and we've arrived. We've arrived. Wow. Yeah. Master of both worlds, baby. The (laughs) witch is next week. It's all back to normal. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking Podcasts. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny.
3: It probably
0: probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve.
3: <laughs> ha ha, I am filmmaker Sasha Baron Cohen, impersonating Mark Lee this whole time and I got all <laughs> oh. of you to say what's really on your mind and I've got it all on tape. <laughs> <laughs> You're still doing
2: the voice. (laughs) My voice.